calling all overwhelmed coaching and service-based entrepreneurs. Are you struggling with working in and on all the things when it comes to your business? Delegating projects to your team, struggling with apps, tools, and programs that are supposed to make you feel more productive? You are not alone. We have created this podcast for you. Tune in each week to hear how you can create structure within your business, learn when it's time to hire a team, and be the fly on the wall for the episodes when we talk with other entrepreneurs who were in this same situation, but worked through it with the help of a team. Welcome to the Business Managers Podcast. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the Business Managers Podcast. We are super excited for this week's episode. We have Tina Forsyth with us. And if you don't know who she is, let me tell you a little bit about her. After starting her own coaching business in 2000, Tina Forsyth quickly came to see the need to partner visionaries with high-level support. With her natural ability to bring both strategy and implementation to the table, Tina began working with six to seven figure leaders within the coaching industry to help manage and grow their businesses. And thus, the role of the online business manager, OBM, was born. As the demand for high-level support continued to rise, she shifted her focus from being the OBM to training OBMs and founded the International Association of Online Business Managers in 2008 the home of the certified OBM training. In the 13 years since its inception, the OBM industry has become established as a key role on the team of fast-growing online and virtually-based businesses. Tina is also a leadership coach for online CEOs who want to build a high-performing team. As a recovering control freak, she intimately understands the journey from I have to do it all myself or I won't get it done right to being brilliantly and beautifully supported by the right team. Learn more at tinaforsythe.com. Tina, welcome to the show. We are so excited to have you today. Yes, thanks for having me. And uh, It's truly an honor. It it really is. Thank you. We're going to jump right in because we have a lot to cover. Could you walk us through sort of your journey to how you went from owning your own coaching business to helping six to seven figure leaders within the coaching industry, manage and grow their businesses? Yeah. I mean, owning my own coaching business might be a generous way (laughs) to describe it because truthfully, part of what was happening at the time, I had taken my coach training and I had hung out my shingle to work as a coach. I think at that time, I think I still have my old business card somewhere. It was like, I'm a life, career, business, whatever coach, right? I mean, short answer is I didn't know what I was doing to build my coaching business. And if we're going back, so that was around 2002, 2003, you know, I had, I was out working as a coach. I wasn't really getting any clients. I had an opportunity come up to work on the back end of a really fast growing coach training and membership organization called Coachville, which at the time was founded and run by Thomas Leonard. And, you know, it was interesting because I went into that work thinking, okay, I'll do a little bit of stuff to help Coach Bill on the side. I was their event manager. They did like an event every weekend. Oh, wow. Like what? I mean, even an in-person event? They would do in-person events almost every weekend. And I was their virtual event manager. So I was managing stuff. And then there was people on the ground at these different events. 
I also started working really closely with the COO of the company, Andrea Lee, who's still very active in the coaching world to this very day. You know, and it was interesting because I went into this thinking, oh, yeah, I'll do a little bit of this on the side while I continue to work on building my coaching business. And it very quickly flipped over for me, right? Because I fell in love with the back end of what it takes to run and grow a business. And at this time, I mean, nowadays, there's a fair amount of fast growing seven, eight, et cetera, six, seven, eight figure coaching businesses. That's very, that's much more common these days. Mm -hmm. Back then, it wasn't at all. I mean, the only software we were using was like, like coded from scratch type software, right? I mean, that's how, that's the shopping cart we were using. The programmers were on the team with us. Like that's how long ago this was Mm -hmm. to be, you know, in, in that time frame. And so I really fell in love with being a part of the team and being behind the scenes and, and just being a part of, of all of that. And so unfortunately the founder, Thomas Leonard passed away in 2003 He's still very much, he founded the ICF, you know, a whole bunch of things. So he very much considered uh, one of the founders, Mm. at least, of the the coaching industry at large, although he's been gone a long time now. It's kind of crazy. Uh, But when Thomas passed away, I was in this space of like, okay, what do I do now? You know, there were some changes going on at the company. I could have stayed or not. And what I realized is because I loved that behind the scenes, of the business. And I really loved being a part of something bigger than myself. I started working with and continued to work with other coaches who were in that six, seven figure range in their own business. And for lack of knowing what to call myself at the time, I just started calling myself an OBM, an online business manager, because there were certainly virtual assistants and such at that time. I mean, that industry was also very much Uh, alive and well, if you will, back in those days too. And I just, I knew though that the work I was doing with clients wasn't just in that assistant type Mm. category, right? It's like, I was really working with my clients to run this business A to Z. Like they would be out on the front end, doing their coaching, doing their speaking, doing their stuff. They would be working with their clients. They would be all of that. And then it was me on the back end, working with the team and moving things forward and making sure stuff was getting done and so on and so on. And so I worked that way for a number of years, you know, as a solo online business manager. And over time, there's a couple of things that started happening. I started having different coaches and other online-based businesses would be like, Tina, I need someone who does what you do, right? Like a little tap, tap on the shoulder. At that point, it was just me. I was full working with clients. So a lot of times it was like, sorry, I'm full. Can't help you out. Um, I also started to have people from the virtual assistant side of things or just from other areas of the online world that were like, hey, I want to do this. Mm. I want to I want to do this myself as well too. And so I wrote my book Becoming an OBM in 2008. The first edition was 2008. Uh the second edition is 2018. <laughs> so the 10th anniversary edition is <laughs> is available now. Um I wrote the book Becoming an OBM and I honestly thought that would be it. It was like, all right, read the book. You can go be an OBM now. <laughs> you know, we're good. Kind of it like I honestly thought that would be the end of it, but Very quickly after that, you know, people were wanting more. They Mm. were wanting more even on both sides of the coin. Like, 
there was those who were reading the book and f- there was people reading the book and finding themselves in it, right? And this this still happens to this very day where someone will read the book and they're like, oh my gosh, now I know mm. what to call myself, right? Like maybe they were being a VA or wanting, you know, thinking that was the path they were going to go, but it just wasn't quite fitting for them. Or maybe they were kind of coming from a marketing side or a tech side or whatever that might be. Uh, You know, definitely people were finding themselves in the book and saying, I want more. Like, how can I do this? How can I do this? Like officially, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I was also having business owners, you know, it was kind of funny at the time, a number of colleagues of mine and people I knew who were coaches and, you know, trainers and speakers and such, they would, they read the book as well at that time. And they were reading it from the perspective of needing to hire someone, you know, and I remember a friend of mine reading the book and she's like, Oh my gosh, I get it now. He's like, now I know what I need. You know, she's like, she had a team of VAs working with her at that point. She would get annoyed and frustrated because they would ask her questions. You know, right. like mm-hmm. <laughs> she had to be the manager in her own company, right? And she's like, oh, I get it. Like, I'm having to play this management role in my company. I don't like doing that. I'm not good at it. Mm-hmm. And it's causing problems, right? So that's when shortly thereafter in early 2009 is when, as you mentioned, Kelly founded the International Association of Online Business Managers. We started our certified OBM training that year as well. And uh, yeah, it's been kind of one of my focuses ever since then as well, too. That's it's it's awesome because and you you thought you were just going to write the book and send people off. And you're like, I got stuff to yeah. do. <laughs> I, it honestly was because I was still working as a full time OBM. Right. At that point. Right. Like I had my one on one clients I was working with and I loved working with my clients. You know, we would have a great time together. And yeah, it was kind of like, OK, here you go. Bye. You know, and it was through, so I worked with, I continued to work with clients up until the end of 2009, you know, coming into 2010. And my coach that I was working with at the time, it was actually kind of funny because that's when I officially shifted from being a, you know, solo or being an OBM working with clients through to, okay, strictly focusing on the certification, the training and the association side of things. That was what I did coming into 2010. And it was funny, my coach at the time was like, Tina, you realize you have to hire your own OBM now. <laughs> I was like, oh, like it hadn't even crossed my mind. Yeah. Right. I'm like, I do. <laughs> oh, okay. Maybe I do. You know, like I was so used to being that person. And not just for clients, but even this, I think, happens for a lot of business owners, too. Like, I know we're wanting to touch a bit on the hiring, you know, when and where and why to hire an OBM side. You know, I know for me, because I was so like, literally the first 10 years of my business, it was just me doing my thing. And, you know, I had a VA that started working with me at a certain point and would take care of some of the day to day and would send out a newsletter. And, you know, I've done some other things over the years. We did some VA training. I had a virtual assistant agency at one point, like I had done a few different things over the years, but it was still very much me in the business, right? Like running the day to day, being the hub of everything. And until my coach had said to me like, Hey, wait a minute, I think you need to hire somebody 
you know, for to play this role for you in the business, it had not even occurred to me because I was just so used to being the one that was not just not necessarily doing every single thing, but being the one that is the hub yeah. of everything, you know, and, and having to carry the weight of that, if that makes sense. But definitely because it was at that stage, I was in the early six figure stage at that point when I was shifting into focusing on the the coaching or on the training and, and mentoring side of the business. I always look at that point also as being, okay, that's the stage where the business became bigger than me, mm-hmm. like literally bigger mm-hmm. than me. There was no way for me to keep doing all the stuff I've been doing on my own. Or I should say there was no way for me to keep doing all of that without having to work 24 seven. And I didn't want to work 24 seven. You know, like my kids were little, little at that point, like 2009, going into 2010, they were like two and four, Mm -hmm. right around that stage, they were super young. So very much getting that experience, it was interesting to be on the other side of the coin at that point where it was like, oh, now I'm getting to see what this is like from the perspective of like being a client of an OBM, right? Being a business owner who's in this space of like, I need to hire, I need to get more help, I need to get the heck out of the way. You know, the control freak piece that you mentioned (laughs) was a very real thing to deal with at that time and still is from time to time as well. Yeah. Yeah. What did you do to make that mental shift? So my first OBM, Tiffany, she came on board in January of 2010. She had been through the first training program. So we did our first certified OBM training in 2009. Tiffany was one of the one of the people who went through that first group. And she came on board and started working with me in January of 2010. And within a few months of her and I working together, I had what I, you know, lovingly like to call an identity crisis in my business. Cause so Tiffany came on board, she was doing what an OBM is supposed to do, right? Like she was doing it very well. She was, she was in the business. She was running the day to day. She was the main point of contact for the team. You know, we would talk about what's going on. We would talk about priorities. She would get plans laid out. She would drive things. She would make things happen. Like she was doing all the stuff that she was hired to do. And she was doing it really, really well. Her and I worked together for close to eight years, actually. And I found myself a few months into Tiffany and I working together. I found myself at one point being like, okay, if she's the one doing everything, (laughs) she's the one, like, it wasn't just that, and it wasn't that she was doing everything, because we had a VA on the team as well, at that point. But what, what happened for me was people started going to her with questions, right? It's like anytime they had a question, anytime they needed something, they would go to Tiffany. Great. That's what we wanted, you know, Mm -hmm. from like an an official logistical perspective, that's what we wanted. But there was this part of me that for most of my life, including, you know, not just being in business and working as an OBM and such, but even going way back into like, you know, school years and college years and whatever with friends and such would be, I was always a person that people came to with their problems, with their challenges. You know, I'm going to jump in and I'm going to fix it and I'm going to save the day. You know, all of a sudden, everybody's going to Tiffany instead, right? There were things that she knew about the business that I didn't know anymore. Like Mm -hmm. that day-to-day, that nitty-gritty, that whatever stuff were, again, like, yay, good, take care of that stuff. I mean, strangely enough, I'm not a detail person. You know, I'm good at 
organizing and managing and, you know, pulling pieces together. I'm actually not a detail person. I thought I was, but I'm not. <laughs> out I'm not. Come to find out. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. So she was, you know, in the nitty gritty and keeping track of everything and all kinds of stuff. And I had this moment a few months of us working in together or working together where I was like, okay, who am I now mm-hmm. in my business if she's the one taking care of all this stuff for me? And, you know, I'm really grateful that I had a coach that I was working with at that time, because it's, you know, it's, it's, we talk a lot in the hiring world about, you know, shifting from being a doer, right? Get the doers on the team, get people to take stuff off your plate, you can delegate, you can whatever. But we don't talk as much about that shift from being like, manager to leader, Mm -hmm. like, what does it mean to actually become the CEO of your own company? What does it mean to continue to get higher and higher levels of support? During that time, I remember talking to my coach about it and, you know, like, and he his he was very helpful in the sense of, okay, you have to redefine your role in the company here. Like, I'm no longer the doer. I'm no longer the, I'm going to swoop in and save the day. I'm no longer the one with all the answers. I'm no longer the one with her fingers in hmm. everything and knowing every single thing that was going on and so on. And so I really had to redefine what success looked like for me in the company because up to that point a lot of how I would feel successful like even feel accomplished on a day-to-day basis or feel like all right I'm actually doing things I'm actually moving forward I'm actually making stuff happen I'm actually getting things done it was because I was so in it all and you know thankfully because I had my coach at that time like I, I still can see this like fork in the road at that point. And I know this comes up often for business owners, right? So, you know, for those of you that are business owners continuing Mm -hmm. to hire support and hire support at different levels, especially like a management level of support. Um, Likewise, if you are an OBM or somebody in a role working with a client to just really understand that, that, that part is actually very challenging, can be very challenging, right? Like the fork in the road was either okay, I'm going to redefine my role and continue to grow into more of like a leader, more of a different space of how I show up and how I value myself in the company, or I'm going to take it all back. Right. And it was very, you know, if I didn't have a coach at that time, it chances are, I probably would have just taken it all back. Like, you know, this, this is where we might all of a sudden become micromanagers and we're mm-hmm. sticking our nose in and we're like, or the control freak, like, no, we got to do it this way. And we got, it's got to be this. And, you know, no, let me take that back. Or I don't want to let go of things or, oh, they're not doing it a hundred percent right. Or exactly the way I would do it. So I guess I got to, I mean, truthfully, I would have probably sabotaged the whole darn mm. thing. Right. With in, especially in the work that Tiffany and I were doing together, because that part of me that was just so used to being the hub yeah, of everything was like the tendency was really to start to stick my nose in and start to, you know, stir stuff up that way. So it definitely is, you know, it was a bit of an identity crisis and to some degree continues to be a challenge. You know, another mentor I worked with around that time frame, I remember her saying to me that every new level of growth requires letting go of something mm-hmm. else. And it can be really challenging. This is still very true with my clients. This is true with our OBM community when they're shifting from being the doer 
to being the manager. It's true with my, you know, I work a lot with coaches and trainers and such online. It's true for them when they're learning to let go of and continue to get more and more support where things actually start to feel easier. Yeah. And when things feel easy, we can start to question like, okay, am I doing enough then? Like, why is this easy? It's supposed to feel hard. Like I thought success was going to be hard or harder or whatever it is. Um, but in reality, it's like that, that idea again, that my mentor had shared of like every level of success requires letting go of something else. It's like when we're thinking through that lens, then we can really see, first of all, we do have to let go. If we don't let go, we're just going to stay stuck wherever we are. And that could be here, here, there, whatever, right? Like it continues and that it's normal to have to let go. Like it's an actual essential piece of this journey along the way. Well, yeah, it's like, you know, we want to live the life we desire, I guess, when we become entrepreneurs. And that doesn't look like 14 hour work days or 18 hour work days. So you do have to let go and it's hard. And what's your suggestion for these entrepreneurs and business owners? They know they need help. They know they need it. They're ready. They're at that level, but they just can't quite get out of their own way to let people help them. Yeah. Yeah. There's like a practical tactical aspect to hiring. And then there is sort of that inner game piece of it as well, too. And from a tactical, practical perspective, you know, a lot of times people will say, like, I don't know who to hire. I don't know where to find someone. I don't know. How do I know if they're the right person or not? Like, those are all skills that can be learned. You know, it's an interesting thing I find about hiring and and leading teams, where, you know, we, we talk so much in the online world, in particular, about the front end of everything, right? We got marketing and branding and this and that and clients and programs and pricing. And, you know, there's all this stuff that gets talked about. That's like the front end, the money-making, the fun -er parts of being in business. But then we don't talk enough about the back end piece of it, right? Like what does it look like to hire? What does it look like to lead? What about getting systems in place? How do we, you know, get structure? When do we start planning versus flying by the seat of our pants or whatever it is? You know, there's sort of this piece because I think people think that part's supposed to be easy or it's supposed to come natural or it's just like it either happens or it doesn't. You know, like (laughs) I either find somebody or I don't kind of thing. But hiring, it really is like when we get to that point, and in particular in the online world, it's usually around the early six-figure mark, mm-hmm. right? It can start, it can happen before that too. But a lot of times if someone, say a coach, you know, a speaker, author, et cetera, they can get away up to maybe around the 250 mark, that mm-hmm. quarter million dollar speed bump where they can get away with, even in some cases being just them up to that point, right? Or being maybe them plus a VA or a doer of some kind on the team. When we are service providers and we're the ones working direct with clients, that that kind of ceiling point usually will hit around the six-figure mark, Yeah, right? Not mm-hmm. even a little before then, depending on pricing and what we do for clients and so on. But it's recognizing that, you know, in a strange way, I always like to say too, that we don't have to keep growing our businesses, mm-hmm. right? Like beware of what you're building, Beware of whether or not you actually want that, 
or if now is the time for that. Because when we're building a business with team and structure and this thing is becoming bigger than us, right? Like that's a different thing. There's times I wish I could go back to being the one-on-one OBM working with my clients, <laughs> right? Where it's like, ah, oh, I remember those days, you know, where it's just, I could show up and I was working with my clients and we were taking care of whatever was going on in their business. But in many ways, it was easier, right? Because it was just me doing the work and it was just me show, And I know myself and I know mm-hmm. what I can do. And I know like there was a lot of that control and trust and such and confidence around that. Whereas when we're growing a business past that point of, oh, just me to like having needing more and needing more support around us, you know, that's where things start to open up. Like we need to learn how to hire. We need to learn how to onboard. We need to learn how to lead. Oh my gosh. The leadership piece. Yes. You know, it's thing to find and hire the right people. It is an entire other thing to know how to lead people. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and again, it's a learned skill like anything else too. A lot of times we're not natural leaders of our team and for all kinds of reasons. That's like even a whole other conversation. Right. I was going to say that's a whole other a thing, series. You know? yeah. <laughs> one, one thing I'll say very quickly about that piece though, is your team is not going to think the same way you do. Yeah. And, you know, that's usually a big kind of, whoa for clients when we're working on leadership, right. Is like, oh, I just got to find, you know, I need to find somebody who thinks exactly like I do, or they, you know, it's like, actually, you don't want that. It's good to have a compliment. You know, again, like I'm not a detail person. It's really good for me to have detailed people on my team. But because we think differently, like I'm more of a bigger picture generalist thinker, and they're more detail-y, there's times where that can feel like friction. Like if I'm looking through the lens of me, and, you know, myself and what's working for me or not, then that feels like friction. If I'm looking through the lens of leadership, it's like, oh, this person is different than me. That might maybe feel annoying at times because we're all human. That's fine. But I'm going to look at it through the lens of great. How can we work? You know, how, how are they bringing something to the table that the business needs and so on? Um, so, yeah, just that fundamental idea of not everybody's going to think yeah. <laughs> like we do. They're really not. They're really not. And that doesn't have to be a bad thing. I mean, it's in essence what makes the world go around, right? Like then not everybody thinks the same. Yeah. And one of the worst things we can do is is hire a bunch of people who are just like us. Right. (laughs) Very true. Yes. Like if somebody's you were, I think you were saying, um, Melissa, you were saying you might ask me about one of my favorite books. Yes. I'll share one of my favorite books. The Synergist Ooh. Oh. by Les McEwen. This is one that, um, I, you know, my, my actual favorite book, my answer to that question might change from day to day, to be honest with you, yeah. because there's a few <laughs> books I like. But this book, because I'm actually teaching a team leadership workshop right now, you know, one of the things I love about this book, it's probably about, I don't know, eight, nine years old. It's a little older. Um, he basically talks about the three different working styles, the visionary, the operator, and the processor. Mm -hmm. And there's lots of assessments out there. And there's lots of things that talk about how we're different. And, you know, I really part of why I like this book is the three types and the way that he really simplifies it. It's like, the visionary being the idea person and woo, we could do this and do that. And let's go fast. And yet, like, if you have a bunch of idea people, 
it's just going to be a chaotic mess all over the place. Nothing will ever get done. Right. You know, whereas, and so, yeah, exactly. Like we need each other. Like a good business is going to have that visionary. They're going to have that operator. And an operator is very much essentially an OBM in our language, right? An operator is very much that OBM role where they're not going to come up with their own ideas per se, like, but they can plug into someone else's idea and like, oh, here's the pieces. Here's what we're going to need. Let's move this thing forward. Let's drive it, make it happen. And a processor is someone that's more like wants the, you know, wants the steps laid out and does their best work when they can see the steps and pieces laid out and they know exactly what needs to be done. And they're really paying attention to all those nitty gritty details. Like, yeah, we need all of those to come together, you know, for a business to work well. Do you think that all three types could be OBMs or do you think there's one particular that is best suited for that work? I think that like if we're looking at it strictly from a function type mm-hmm. perspective, because I would say at this stage in the game, I've never been a processor. I mean, part of the book is this idea of like a synergist can be all three. That's part of the philosophy yeah. of the book, mm-hmm. you know, is to be all three. Um, but we also, as a default Tend, like we tend to have a default type, right? right? And I know for years, like when I was actively working as an OBM for clients, very much an operator type of person, right? It was because the other thing with the operator, they might be a little bit make it up as they go, you know, like that sort of thing, which I was always very much wired that way, uh, where it's all right, great, here's where we're headed. All right, let's get started. We'll just make it up as we go, kind mm-hmm. of thing. Um, you know, I very much operated from that operator space for years, but now by nature of where the business is at, you know, I'm in much more of that visionary mm-hmm. type role. So I think there's a piece of like, who are we naturally wired to be? You know, in our OBM community, our certified OBM community, we definitely have people that are in the processor side and the operator side. And part of what becomes important when we understand that, say, about ourselves as a professional, as an OBM, it's also a little bit of knowing, like, okay, who are my best clients going to be? Mm-hmm. Like, if somebody's very much a processor, very much a, you know, we want to have things laid out and purposeful and, you know, building that strong foundation and being strategic that way. If they're working with somebody who's really, you know, visionary and all over the place and woo and changing their mind all the time and whatever, that person might suck the life out of that processor. Yep. Right? Like yeah. you've seen that happen for sure. Um, yeah. Know, whereas somebody, so it is a little bit of like, you know, know yourself to a degree and know that, you know, know who your ideal clients are and who they aren't mm. that you want to be working with. It's very important. Yeah. So we've, we've talked about business owners and them hiring a team but what if what if someone's listening to this episode and they're like oh i want to do that i want to be an obm i whether they're starting right at the gate or if they have been doing virtual assistant work and now they sort of want to shift into that management level and role for business owners what do you suggest to them as sort of their first steps yeah i mean if it's something where you're like what is this thing? Do I want to do it or not? You know, I would definitely recommend getting a copy of my book, my Becoming an Online Business Manager book. Um, You know, because people will read that book and have a pretty strong yes or no to it, Mm -hmm. 
right? It's like, oh, yes, I do want to do this or, oh, heck no. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and either way, the book does its job. You know what I mean? Like yeah, if yeah. somebody's reading it and they're like, ew, no, yuck, I don't want to do that. Great, good. Then you only spent like 25 bucks on a book to find right. that out. <laughs> Versus exactly. going down that path, right? So it's looking to see if this role is exciting for you or not. And then truthfully, it really depends on the person. Like if somebody, I mean, if somebody's looking to fast track and jump in and get going to look at, say, the certification training and to go through that process. Absolutely. If you're looking to, you know, maybe take steps a little slower, or I know, for example, we have people that come into our community who are working full-time jobs Mm -hmm. still, right? And, or they have an existing business, like as a VA doing something like that, you might start to kind of dip a toe in the water of this type of work with others, you know? So folks that come into our certified OBM community, they're coming from one of two places, usually. They're coming from having been already an online support professional of some kind, like maybe a marketing person, maybe a virtual assistant, maybe a website tech, whatever type person where they've been working as a solopreneur or freelancer, or maybe their own agency too, mm-hmm. you know, or a marketing person in that regard. So they're coming from that space. They're coming from having already been in the online world. And being very much in a doing role. So part of the shift when you're coming from the online world and the doing role, the biggest shift is usually to shift from being a doer to being a manager. Mm -hmm. And it's similar to what we were just talking about, right? Like it's still that same journey of, oh my gosh, I'm no longer the doer. You know, when you're an OBM on a team, it's like you're an OBM, you're a man, you're in the management layer of everything. And there's going to be other people on the team that are doers yeah. as well. I mean, depending on the size of the business, that might be one or two part-time VAs on a smaller team, um, but that can be a whole lot of people mm-hmm. on a team as a business grows. And so that shift is usually about making that shift from like a doer to manager, which again, can be part of a mindset thing, right? Like, you know, we'll have OBMs in our community, in our, in our association, our certified OBMs where that conversation comes up pretty regular where it's like, oh, wait a minute. Like I just started with this client and we're doing this and we're doing that, or we're three months in or we're six months in. And I feel like I should be doing more for them. And it's like, do you feel like you should, or you know what I mean? Like how much of that is just in your head? Whereas the client, a lot of times can be like, this is great. You know, they got somebody moving things forward and planning and working with the team and driving things and all kinds of stuff. They're thinking it's amazing. Right. And then the OBM's like, but but this is so easy. Because they're not doing the doing. Yeah. They're in So that's definitely part of the shift, usually coming from already being a support or service professional of some kind is that that VA or that doer to manager type shift. Folks who are coming in from the corporate or the professional world. I mean, we definitely have have folks that come in from, they've been doing project management or executive assistants or COO or, you know, various things. We have a fair number of teachers and such that come in. I think because teachers are like good at planning and they're managing all those little humans. Oh gosh, if you could manage like a room full of kindergartners, you're probably (laughs) going to be just fine. You're hired. (laughs) <laughs> exactly. You know, when they're com- when somebody's coming in from a, a non-online world, so to speak, I mean, then the bigger learning curve is usually more around learning and understanding the online world, 
Yeah. Right. It's like, oh, how does this online space work? Like, what are the tools? What is the structure? What are the team? What are people doing? Like that tends to be a bit more. They're generally coming in with that management level of thinking. Mm-hmm. I'm like, all right, I've already been working at a certain level in the work I was doing before. So their learning curve is generally a little more on that side. But, you know, there's no and it's been interesting to see, like, especially in the age of COVID. right stuff there right um and when the whole world went online this time last year give or take like march of last year the whole world goes online and all of a sudden like we just saw a huge uptick in everything at that point like there was a good couple of months of kind of a little bit like the dust settling and who knows what's going on but you know starting in mid-year last year through to this very point like more and more and more people are going online, starting or, or expanding their businesses online. I mean, mm-hmm. there's literally been, I don't know if it's similar where you ladies live, but here, like, you know, those those brick and mortar stores downtown, you know, the guy with the candy shop downtown, like a year or so ago, didn't do anything online. Now right. he has to do a bunch of stuff online, like in order to Absolutely. survive. So yeah. the whole world is going online now, which means there's more and more demand mm-hmm. for like an OBM and of course other other support professionals too, they just continue to need more and more support. And so it's a good time for folks to be looking at this, you know, if and where it's a fit for them. And I'm never one to say like, do it now or you'll miss out. I mean, I don't <laughs> believe in that kind of stuff because right. there is very real timing right. aspects to things too, right? Um, you know, and that being said, like it's it's only going to continue to grow from here, you know, as much as like we were talking before we recorded about like kids going back to school. Woohoo! We'll see, you know, hopefully in the fall, it's like officially everybody right. back to school. And it's like, there's a certain element of life going back to normal, so to speak, or to like not online world, but there's just a whole lot of stuff that's going to stay yeah. and continue to grow. Yeah. I um, think the world changed. It's, it's a oh. shift for sure, you know? Yeah. I know, you know, friends of mine that are like, oh, I'm having to be on Zoom. Like, I've lived on Zoom right. for like five years or four years already. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to my world. Yeah. 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 It's, I mean, it's been great. We, we've said that too. When people that worked in offices started working from home, it's like, and they said, what changed for you? And I'm like, not much, just less things are open now. And now I have to wear a mask everywhere I go, but I was always home. Yeah, exactly. Calls. Yeah. So it's welcome. My kids are in the next room. That's what changed. Yeah, <laughs> right. So I guess we touched on this a little bit earlier, but like what characteristics or skills do you feel are important for leaders? For leaders, I mean, we really, uh, it's a leader's job to determine where we're headed and why, first and foremost. So, you know, to and also to be able to communicate that very well, like the, the leadership training workshop that I'm doing right now, it's like a three-parter. You know, the very first session we talked about being on the same page, because a lot of times, and I get to see this from both sides of the coin, right? Like by nature of being a part of our OBM community, I get to see and hear what's going on for them when they're behind the scenes with clients. And then the clients I work with, uh, who are more of like, they're the leaders, they're the coaches, the trainers, etc. their hiring team, I'll hear things from their perspective. And 
one of the bigger things that happens is people just aren't on the same page, Hmm. right? Like they don't know, like, and then what happens is there's assumptions made or there's mismatched expectations or there's conflicting priorities and all kinds of stuff there. I mean, it's really up to a leader to say, here's where we're headed. Here's why we're going this direction. And to be able to communicate that really well to people. Mm -hmm. You know, when we were talking about the, the, the three different types earlier, the, the uh, visionary, the operator, the processor, I'm a believer that it's up to a leader to speak their language, right? Mm -hmm. Like if I'm, it's not up to them to try to keep up to yours, if that makes sense. Like a good leader is going to know their team. They're going to know and understand how that person's wired and they're going to be able to communicate with them from that perspective. You know, especially those of us that are visionary types, we're terrible communicators, right? It's Mm -hmm. like, oh, you know, and I'll hear people say this, right? Oh, they just need to keep up. No, that's not leadership, right? Like that's like, that's abdication. Get your ducklings in a row, get all your little ducklings. So they're with you, right? Yeah. Well, and yeah, and it's and it's important to be, you know, again, that's a learned skill. Like, how do we communicate effectively with our team? And of course, that that letting go piece that you know that I was talking about earlier. It's being able to let go, knowing how to do that well, and not letting go in the sense of like, you know, when I'll talk about this concept of being an ostrich or a control freak. You know, the the ostrich is all right, I gave this thing to somebody. I'm going to go put my head in the sand over here. Yeah. Focus on whatever. Don't talk to me. Don't ask me questions. Don't whatever. And then I'll pop up like in a few weeks or a month down the road and be like, oh, what's happening here? Oh, nothing's happened. Or, oh, you went off in a totally different direction or, oh, whatever. Right. Like things can really fall apart if we're unplugged from our leadership. Whereas the control freak is the one that's like too involved, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Doesn't want to let things go second guessing what every team member's doing and why are they doing it? And why are you doing it that way? And all that kind of stuff. And, you know, any of us that have worked on or been on the receiving end mm-hmm. of that style, like of that micromanagement style, you know, at the very least it's annoying, right? <laughs> if not downright, like it's almost impossible to move things forward when For something's sure. all yeah. that way. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. And I, to add to your like working, you have to kind of meet people where they are. Mm-hmm. You, know? you really do. Like, and again, I look at that as a leadership skill. Like it's not up to them to like catch up or understand you or read your mind. You know, I mentioned <laughs> Tiffany that worked with me for so many years. She had a, a lovely saying that she would say about working with Uh, maybe me at times, but working with, you know, business owners in general, where she's like, I can't look up your butt and read your mind. (laughs) It's true. It's like, it's like, you know what, you're right. Like, and and I know for myself, because I'm on my team right now, I definitely have like, you know, there's a visionary, that's very much the role I'm in, you know, operator and processor on my team as well. And I know there's times like, because of my awareness around this, I know there's times where I'm over here being all like, we, and then in the back of my mind, it's like, oh, wait a minute. No, this isn't helpful. Right. Right. Like to them, you know, or even to know like Dory, who is our association director, she's very much the type where we can talk about something and she needs a day to like, think it through and start Mm -hmm. to leave. My default is like, all right, let's get going. Woo. What do you think? Should we do this now or not? And they're like, there she goes again. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) She's off. She's off and running that Tina. 
It's like, all right. I'm like, yes, you can tell me. <laughs> I will give you 24 hours and then I want to. <laughs> but, but that's, that's, but that's a that's... leadership thing to know, right? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. for me, so I, even if I have a moment and she like calls it out or, you know, I'm, I tend to be pretty good these days in the back of my mind, even being like, oh, wait a minute. Okay. Yeah. I got to chillax here for a moment and check yeah. in. Give her her space, right. To figure right. it out. Yeah. And then, yeah. And, then that's you awesome. and to be able to respect the differences. I mean, I think that's another really key leadership skill that often gets missed too, right? Mm-hmm. Especially from that visionary type that can be so like, we, you know, we want to respect each other's differences. Like I want to respect the fact that, okay, yes, this person may think differently than me. They may move slowly from my perspective, right? Like, cause I'm just, you know, with stuff, but it's like, wait a minute, that's a good thing. Like, I'm going to respect that yeah. in the person versus thinking, oh, there's something wrong with this person. Yeah. They're not exactly like I am. Right. Yep. Back I to like your original that. point that no one thinks like you. So no, that's, that's why we have different, different levels of people, different levels of business owners and, and leaders. It's awesome. I don't, I don't know how much fun I'd have working with a team of me. I know. Right. <laughs> I feel the same. I feel not about you, but about me. Like Ooh, about yeah, I think, Kelly's. I it's think Kelly would agree. Yeah. A team of Melissa's running around <laughs> would probably not be enjoyable. If I could do this, I wouldn't need all the Kellys. I need different people. I need Tina's yeah. and Melissa's. And for sure. So we we talked about a lot today. We, we could did. continue. We could make this an entire series. And, uh, <laughs> Mondays with Tina. I think we'll just do Mondays that. We're changing Tina. the podcast name. <laughs> Speaking of Mondays, and we'll 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 leave it on a a relaxing note. Maybe we'll see. A lot of people dread Mondays. So what? What are Mondays in one word, if you can, or a phrase, couple words, what are Mondays like for you? What are you, how do you feel about Monday? Monday is very purposeful for me. So I aim to start the week. I mean, that's when I have my team meetings. Mm -hmm. We always have a team meeting first thing on Monday. I also challenge myself to look through the lens of, okay, what are the three things I'm working on this week? Like, Mm -hmm. I'm a big believer in just picking three things at a time, especially when there's so much going on, it can Mm -hmm. be easy to go off into like too many directions. So Monday is the day when I'm like, okay, what am I focusing on this week? What do I want to accomplish? Let me pick three things to focus on. And when I can start the week, from that perspective, then it does lay things out pretty well and even helps in my own mind, right? Of like at any given time, if I'm not being clear and purposeful with what I'm working on, then it's easy to get caught up in like, you know, oh, wait, this, there's that, there's this, we could do this, we could do that. That might be a bit of the visionary curse too, yep. right? Where it's like all these different, ah! you know, and then the whole week can feel off. When I'm like that, whereas, okay, here's three things we're focusing on for the week. Here's when I'm working on them, you know, to get to the end of the week and be like, even if the week went off the rails, you know, because sometimes things happen or they go off in all kinds of directions or, or we don't make all the progress we want to make, like to be able to look at that, those three things and be like, okay, those got accomplished or those got mostly accomplished, or we made some progress here at the very least. Like it's also very helpful to just feel like things are moving forward Yeah, in that way. Mm-hmm. I really like Good. that. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. 
So where is the best place for people to find you? Where are you most active? Because I know people are going to be immediately, I would, if I was listening to this episode, yes. to go find you and start just following you. Yeah. Stalking. Don't stop. Yeah. <laughs> you can stalk. As long as you're not like pressing your face to my window. Right. None of that. that. That probably wouldn't look very exciting anyways. You, you would see me at my computer. And yeah, right. My large dogs and my kids probably. Um yeah, tinaforsyth.com is my main website. I do a fair amount of like writing and sharing, you know, articles and such from a, a newsletter perspective. So that's mm -hmm. definitely one place to connect. Pretty active on Facebook, just under my personal profile under Tina, Tina Martin Forsyth, if you're looking to follow me there. You know, not in theory, I'm on LinkedIn, but not very often. <laughs> that's one of those where I'm like, I have to get better. Uh, being on LinkedIn. Yeah. Right. And if you find me on Instagram, you're just going to see pictures of my dogs. You're going to see pictures of my nails because I like getting my nails done. They look very like nice. That's <laughs> Yay, purple. <Yeah>. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I mean, so by all means, we can connect there as well, too. But that's much more of a personal space. Yeah. Awesome. And, and I know you have a uh, you're, you're going to have a free gift like a freebie for our, our listeners. So we'll put that in our Facebook group and in the show notes. Yes. Um, our Facebook group is the business managers podcast and uh, it's a wonderful little community. Come join us. Listen. Thank you so much for coming on. And we're going to uh, put the link to your book in the show notes as well. Mm -hmm. And everything, all the links where people can find you. And thank you for joining us today. This was a, an amazing interview. and. Um, we hope you enjoyed yourself as well. Yeah, I agree. We could have kept talking. I know. Absolutely. <laughs> to carve out some more time in my yes. in our day. So thank you very much. Thanks to everybody who listened and tuned in. And uh, as we like to say around here, you never know what's going to happen, right, Melissa? You just don't know. You just usually don't know. things like usually crazy things happen just on our solo episodes. This one, you know, this went off without a hitch today. Yeah, I think we were just in, so in awe. Yeah. It was good. And um, tell your friends, share our podcast, come check us out on Facebook and on Instagram and, and online at Mergio Enterprises. And thanks to Tina for joining us. And we will be back next week. Bye, everybody. Bye. Did you enjoy today's episode? If you did, help us grow with a follow, rate and review. Check us out online at MergioEnterprises.com and on Facebook and Instagram at Mergio Enterprises. See you next week and tell your friends.